Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed um, that chat with Derek Havens just as much as I did. Um, such a cool guy, such a great insight into the NFL. I mean, uh, really, those guys on the Pats fans uh, website are great, and uh, the Pats fourth and two podcast are fantastic. Russ Goldman, Steve Bill Sherry, and of course Derek Havens. So I listen to them a lot and always learn a lot, which is for me the most important thing. A um, couple other things to touch on. Um, one of the cool things, I don't know if you guys have been watching on Netflix. We've got the Last Dance documentary about the. 97, 98 Chicago Bulls, and I think with Michael Jordan, um, I know, that's just such a cool insight. I mean, for me as a sports junkie, uh, to get insight into that kind of stuff is amazing and really cool that dynamic. You know, I think when you see title-winning teams, there's there's so many characters, so many egos, of course, so much talent. But how to put that all together? You see, the it shows the beauty of that team. I think it shows the beauty of Phil Jackson being able to gel them all together, uh, which is fantastic. Um, you know, having been in a title winning team myself, you know, you understand how you have to find your role within that team and how you have to kind of lower your ego and put that aside and for the best interest of the team. So these 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 teams make, you know, make fascinating viewing for me, really. And um, it's a great watch. So it's four episodes in so far Two every come out every Monday over here in Europe, um, every Sunday evening on in America, so yeah, get get watching the guys four episode in so far. It's been just been really cool. Uh, one of the, th- the other things I did recently was I played in a um, virtual pro evolution soccer online tournament with Alfonso Davis from Bayern Munich. Um, we helped the United Nations Refugee Agency raise some funds for refugees all over the world. We know that during this COVID nineteen era and how it's affecting so many people, it's definitely affecting the most vulnerable at the moment. So if you guys want to watch it, it's all over my Twitter, it's all over my social media, and. Um, that was pretty fun. I ended up winning. We played five games in the end. I was literally supposed to be three. Ended up uh, winning two, drawing two, and uh, losing one. So I was. I had a blast, honestly. Um, the fact that I didn't have Xbox Live set up on my Xbox two hours before we were supposed to kick off the event shows that I'm a bit of a novice. And the fact that I was able to win a couple of those games, I was incredibly proud of myself and um, exceeded all my low expectations. So that was a lot of fun, guys. Yeah, if you want to get involved... You can check out all my channels, um, United Nations Refugee Agency, at refugees all over social media. And it's all over my Azrin Beggars Foundation um, social media channels as well. So you get a lot more information from there. Uh, But now it's time to get into the huddle where we answer some of your questions. Um, I really, really appreciate all your questions, guys. Anytime you bring them in, especially this time, I need you. So get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, slide into our DMs on Instagram and Always a pleasure to hear hear from you guys. Uh, first question comes from Gabby Fersley at uh, Fers IG. Do current pro contracts have stipulations on when players need to get surgical procedures done? I asked I asked this because Pippen and MJ on the last dance, or is it a sole player decision? You know th- these things are really tricky. Um, player injuries, you know, a lot of emotions. Players are angry. They might want to blame the medical team or. Uh, sports science team or whatever it is for maybe putting him in that position so these are always delicate situations ultimately from my experience and what I know is that there's obviously the ideal way of being able to find a solution for both what's best interest of the team and the player time frame to get him back whatever suits the long-term needs of the club and your contract situation so ultimately that's always the, the first plan plan a but then plan b and ultimately everything else down to the player uh, nobody can force you to make and do a medical procedure anytime. So it has to be with your consent. So the player has to, of course, sign it off. But ideally, it's a way of working it for everyone. But as you can see with Scotty Pippen in the last dance, it doesn't always do it. And if you're if you're ticked off, then 
ultimately the player is going to look out for himself and, and nothing else. Um, next question is from Milan Obsession on Twitter. The last dance documentary about MJ has so far shown how the personal issues of Pippen and Rodman impacted the Bulls in different ways, um, in different points. If you had teammates impacting your team and could choose, who would you choose? Scotty Pippen or Dennis Rodman? Well, listen, I think let's be honest about it. I think everyone would choose Scotty Pippen first and foremost. He was his Robin um, to Batman. You know, um, he was always the sidekick, the main guy. And as Scotty showed when MJ took a break, that he was maybe the best player in the league. So you always want that guy, the more reliable, dependable guy, the overall guy. But at the same time, you need special other specialties, whether it's a shooter, whether it's a rebounder, a rebounder, whether it's a defensive presence, basketball. So you always need those guys, and they come in different shapes and sizes and forms. And and you know, Dennis Rodman might well, probably will go down as the best ever rebounder in, in the game of basketball, if not one of the best defenders ever. So they needed him. They needed him to play his part and understand his role. Um, but I guess if you could ever choose, then of course, I think you choose Scottie Pippen. He's the better all-around player. There's no, no question about that. Um, next question, another question from Milan Obsession. Is winning a virtual football term as good as winning a term in real life? And will you be reporting the Pro Evolution soccer referee from the Bayern Milan match for his stoppage time and indiscretions? Or is helping to raise money for refugees rewarding enough on its own? Well, first and foremost, it was for the for a great great cause. Um, I think we raised about nine thousand euros or close to nine thousand euros in in a short space of time. So we've got to thank everybody for for donating and helping out and getting involved. That's really amazing. So that that beats and trumps everything. But you know, um, that referee, I mean, um, it was scandalous what he did really. And if I hadn't won the overall tournament, I would definitely be sending in a complaint. Um, get Konami to donate as well as, as, as a punishment, which is, is a great punishment anyway. But um, yeah, I wasn't happy that time and thankful I was able to come back and rescue rescue the day and um, I went a couple of games later on to win the tournament. So that was a lot of fun. But yeah, of course, the real-life tournament as well feels much better. So um, thanks for all the questions, guys. Listen, like, like always, keep getting in touch with us on Twitter, at Season Sports, on our Facebook page, and of course, we're at Instagram, at Season underscore of underscore sports. Um, love getting all your thoughts and questions and make sure you listen to us guys leave us a review positive negative we'd love to hear from you it really helps us um, rate us all, all on the internet wherever you can keep getting your questions in give us a follow give us a like and uh, really appreciate all your support so thanks for listening hope you enjoyed the, this episode and I'll be back with you guys very very soon hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the season of sports with me as Rebekovic I'm excited for this episode um, where it's time to review the draft. Um, It's an event everyone was looking forward to for a very long time and um, can't wait to break it down with our man Derek Havens, featured columnist for patsfans.com. I know he's a huge fan of the draft, so didn't think there was anyone better to get get on the show to discuss the NFL draft. How are you, Derek? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm, uh, you know, like you said, I was pumped to have the draft. Something, it almost felt, you know, it's not a real sporting event, but but as close as we're going to get right now. And I, I was really excited to have that entertainment for the weekend. I have to say, I, was, I haven't been that excited for an event in a long, long time. <laughs> right. a, virtual, a virtual NFL draft. I mean, um, that's, what it, that's what it's come to these days. So, um, Actually, you know what? I, I thought overall it went really, really well. I, for my doubts as to how it was going to work technically and technologically and all that kind of stuff, I thought they did a great job. What did you think? 
Yeah, I thought for the most part it went out pretty smooth. There were some awkward moments, but coordinating all those people, it's, you know, with a ton of different people recording in their own homes versus whatever they had in the studio. And it, it, it couldn't have been easy uh, to pull off. And I thought they, for the most part, uh, you know, I was recording uh, an episode of, of my podcast with Steve Balsheri, uh yesterday discussing the similar topics that we're discussing today. And um, we were just saying how besides the Roger Goodell leaning back in that, in that big Brown chair, <laughs> I could have done without that, uh, that he had like the, you know, the, the throw a blanket over his shoulder. It looked like a like a Mister Rogers neighborhood kind of scene. I know. Well, to be honest, um, if that was the worst thing of the of the draft, <laughs> they, they did pretty well. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. They got a lot, lot worse. I know. Well done for everyone uh, putting it on. So we're going to get into breaking down the draft. We'll go into the Pats draft, and then we're going to get some winners and losers out of this draft in our in our opinions. Um, but a couple of news and notes just before we get started. Um, James Devlin. You know, um, he, he's retired. He's announced retirement after, I believe, eight years in the NFL, three-time Super Bowl champion. Um, you know, it's sad to see him go as a Pats fan. For me, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, James Devlin was a, was a really cool story. Defensive lineman at Brown comes to the pros, well, after a short little stint in, like, the semi-pros, and gets, a, and gets a, a tryout with Cincinnati behind a pretty good fullback in his own right. And uh, I believe Chris Presley was his name. And then he's, uh, he can't make the cut there, comes to New England, really kind of scraps and fights and, 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 and makes his way onto the roster and really progressed into one of the NFL's best fullbacks. And he paved the way to multiple Super Bowl titles. And uh, it was unfortunate for his neck injury. It, it seems like that is what ultimately is kind of pushing him out the door. But you always want to see a guy leave on his own terms and not by injury. But yeah, great person. I've met him a couple of times, spoke with him several times, and he's a, he's a terrific guy. His team, you know, really respected and beloved by his teammates. And at the same time, on the field, he brings a, a, a great you know kind of intensity, and um, you know he's able to to pave the way for the running backs to get the job done, and you know kind of in the trenches area. So you know I, he'll definitely be missed. Um, I would not be surprised to see him in some kind of role with the Patriots moving forward. Maybe not this season, but uh, I could see him in some kind of coaching role down the line. Well, he was a great servant for the Patriots, that, that's for sure. And you can just see by the re- reaction from all his ex-teammates, um, especially on social media, uh, that he was such a popular guy in that dressing room. So um, that, was pretty, that was pretty cool for him. But, you know, he'll be missed. But, you know, thankfully... And hopefully his health will be okay, and um, that's the most important thing. Um, the second thing I want to touch on, Jameis Winston joining the New Orleans Saints on a one-year deal to be, I guess, the backup um, in that quarterback sort of ten, well, group that they have. Um, I thought it was a really cool, well, a smart move on his part, actually. I know there wasn't too many openings in the NFL, but for him to take that sort of a gig maybe with an eye on the future, maybe someone they can – they can develop as Drew Brees' successor. I think it's a really smart move. What do you think? Well, it's funny because Jameis at one point was kind of angling for like a $30 million per year salary, you know, and yeah. <laughs> new contract. All of a sudden, Brady goes to Tampa and and Jameis is, is sitting behind Drew Brees in New Orleans. It's crazy how the NFL, you know, storyline, you know, kind of creates itself as it goes along. But with Jameis, I mean, 
he's a talented. He's he has a lot of talent in his arm, no question. Uh, you can watch him play. He puts up awesome numbers, and uh, he he can push the ball down the field. But too many mistakes, too many turnovers. I'm not sure mentally. Uh, you know, I, I just I, I just think too many mental errors have really kind of hurt his game, and that's why I you know with the Buccaneers specifically, you know, they'll win more games than last year because their younger players will be getting better. And also Brady's going to turn the ball over a fraction number of times that Jameis did. And I think for Winston, it actually landed it. He landed in a good situation. I thought there was a chance maybe he would be behind big uh, Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh, but he goes to new Orleans where he'll sit behind drew Brees for a year or two. He can collect a paycheck, learn under some, some good offensive coaching there with Sean Payton and, hopefully kind of reinvent himself and get a second shot. Uh, you know, I think that would be an interesting story for him. Well, we also what happened with Teddy Bridgewater this past year. I mean, how he developed and um, in that, in that system and what it meant to him. And I think we can all agree that Teddy Bridgewater probably doesn't have the same talent as James Winston. Agreed. And um, he definitely made the most out of that situation. So let's see what James, James Winston does. Hopefully he uses to the best of um, best of his abilities, but um, let's move on to the draft. I know you're, you're waiting for it. I know you've probably talked about it a million times now in the last few days, but let's get into the, the Patriots draft. Um, overall, probably not a spectacular draft. You know, I think they certainly went down the lines of filling more holes rather than not. I mean, you and I talked a few weeks ago that the Patriots have a lot of glaring needs and it was either to maybe prioritize quality over quantity, um, but they obviously, they, they chose more of the choosing to fill up a lot of these holes type of draft and I mean that was obvious once they traded away their 23rd pick into the second round and um, went down to 37 with the Chargers and find out the Chargers take take your man crush Kenneth Murray um, <laughs> they, they took your guy and um, they, they drafted Kyle Duggar in the second second round um, how did that sort of pick sit with you well as the as a, the Patriots pick at 23 was approaching in my mind I was just thinking, you know, there's a lot of interesting options on the board. And uh, I didn't think I knew that they I knew that trading down was a possibility. And I had thrown out several scenarios on Twitter in the last couple of weeks looking at trade partners. I didn't I didn't necessarily envision the Chargers being one of them. But, you know, it, it's funny that the guy I pegged for the Patriots and Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma did go at 23, just not to New England. And, uh, you know, I, I think this is going to be one of those drafts Asmir, that we look at and we compare players for a long time because, you know, you had you had Kenneth Murray, you have a guy in Patrick Queen who went a couple spots later, another popular Patriots mock draft target, the linebacker from um, LSU who went to the Baltimore Ravens, and then you trade back, you're at 37, a pick before you, Xavier McKinney goes from the safety from Alabama who, went again, was another Patriots kind of target from uh you know any, all the all the pre-draft stuff and he goes to your former special teams coach now head coach of the new york giants he goes there and uh you know i know that like someone like aj Epinesa went after went to the bills in the in the middle of the second round that was someone who was often talked about to, the, to new england and now you're going to see him twice a year so that'll certainly be interesting to kind of monitor some of these players careers and you know with with Brady gone, you know, and and you've changed, you you know, kind of changed a new a new leaf here. You're turning over your roster. You need to get younger, faster, more athletic. Well, without the kind of quarterback play you've had for the last 20 years, 
you, your wiggle room and your, your margin for error in the draft has, has gone down, you know, quite a bit. And so there's going to be a lot of scrutiny for these draft picks, starting at the top with Kyle Duggar. You know, he's an interesting prospect leading up to the, uh, the combine in Indy. He created a lot of buzz. There was a lot of people being like, Hey, watch out for this kid. Uh, he can play. They, uh, people were excited to see how he would test. And then he tests in the 99th percentile in athleticism. He's an athletic freak. And, you know, he's he's a little bit older. He's 24 compared to some of these younger guys who are like in their like 21, 22 range. But, he, you know, he played at a D2 school, totally dominated. Uh, you know, then he plays at the Senior Bowl, played exceptionally well there, is very highly respected. And, um, you know, he can contribute on special teams along with playing safety. Uh, you know, I think he's going to be a fascinating player to watch. Probably not someone that plays a significant amount right away outside of special teams, maybe doing some returns, some, uh, you know, sub or dime packages on defense. Uh, maybe he shadows a tight end, but I don't think he's going to be in a starting role for probably a year or two. Well, I think that was the interesting part. I think his presence, well, Bill Belichick's presence at the Senior Bowl this year, I wonder what impact that had because that's where Kyle Duggar really stood out um, to most people. So, Well, really, I'll talk, I'll, you that. know, three of their first three picks, and you know, all – yeah. All were, I think, guys, you know, kind of with real strong Belichick ties from the Senior Bowl and, of course, Alabama. And, um, you know, Belichick has really found the, uh, an infinity for the uh, Michigan program, as you can tell by his yeah. last couple of years of drafting. And um, I I would say, you know, like you said, like you mentioned, Esmer, uh, with the Patriots being in the Super Bowl the last couple of years, you know, it's been Nick Casario down there, but now Bill's there hands on and. You know, you're specifically your top two picks in this draft. Both were one of the two of the better players at the Senior Bowl, and you got to see these these guys up close and and personal, and and do a bunch of different things and go against other, you know, highly regarded draft prospects. I think the Senior Bowl had like over 90 kids uh, that were drafted, which is which is very good for them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you can see with the first pick, and that kind of brings me on to the the Patriots' second and third picks. Um, I wanted to kind of wrap them in, in one little bubble. Is um, Josh Uche from from Michigan and um, Anthony Jennings from Alabama? Um, this sort of feels to me like he's he's picking players now with a lot of athleticism. Um, this is almost in a way to combat the likes of Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jacksons. Does that sort of does these picks show you the same? Same movement or the same idea that I have? Yeah, I mean, they certainly needed to get younger and faster. And these first three picks do that. I mean, are, are they are they starters from day one? Probably not. Uh, but I, I do think that they will help you fill roles and, you know, become starters down the line. Starting with Josh Uche, he's someone who's, who is a tremendous athlete, only has one year of starting experience in Michigan, but people forget – or maybe some people forget that he was behind Chase Winovich, who the Patriots drafted, you know, pretty highly last year. Plus, he was behind Rashawn Gary, who was uh, a first-round draft pick for the Green Bay Packers. So it wasn't like he was able to be utilized more than just kind of in in spots. And I think that's how he'll start. He'll start with kind of, uh, you know, bring him on, bring him in on third downs, rush the passer. You know, Bill likes to find out what a guy does really well, tries to put him in situations to succeed. And once he, you know, starts taking on a little bit, he can give him a little bit more and grow and grow and grow. And I think that's what we'll see with Josh Uche. Now he's a little bit shorter. 
I wouldn't say call him small at 6'1 and 245, but he's a little shorter, but his arms are really long, but he's very explosive. I think that you're, you're, um, you know, your ceiling is really high with Josh. And for Anthony Jennings, uh, you know, this is someone who's really well coached, smart player, versatile, not, not quite the athlete the first two guys are, but still athletic in his own right. He came, he did, uh, two years ago, he did t- uh, kind of uh, tear his knee up a little bit. Um, in the national championship game, came back the next year, started off slow, and then he kind of turned it back on again. But outside of that, you know, he's he's a really, really intriguing guy. A lot of people have compared him to Kyle Van Noy. I think if you're talking about where players slot in, uh, Asmir, I would say Anthony Jennings, to me, will have a higher floor where, you know, you have less bust potential in him. He's more pro-ready. of, of the, He's probably the most pro-ready of – I would say anyone in the top three for sure. And then you could make the case he's the most pro ready of the entire Patriots draft class. But, you know, he doesn't have the potential that I think that Ushay and Duggar do. But I still think he's a good player in his own right. And I thought they made a, a nice selection at the 87th overall pick. And I don't think he would have been there if it wasn't for that knee injury two years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I like these three picks. You know, they might be, they might not be spectacular picks, but solid nonetheless. And, um, and they can grow a lot. The one thing that's obviously a shame this year is we're probably going to miss OTAs and, and that kind of stuff. So these guys will probably get into preseason. And, and that's why I, they'll probably full, fill in a little bit later, as, as you say, um, as the season goes on. I think they'll, they'll probably earn more playing time as they get more comfortable with the system. Um, so later on in the third round, the Patriots go with a tight end combo. Devin Asiasi from UCLA and Dalton Keene from Virginia Tech. I think the general consensus is that Devin – Asiasi could sort of fill a role sooner rather than Dalton Keene. Um, but tight end was a glaring need for the Patriots, and they've doubled up here. Um, give me your thoughts on the tight end. Devin Asiasi is really an interesting guy. It's someone that I had kept my eye on pretty closely before uh, you know, the pre-draft process and because I, I thought that he was someone the Patriots could go after. He, if, you watch, if you watch some of his highlights at UCLA – you will see a player that does a lot of things the Patriots ask their tight ends to do. And he's, you know, he's not extremely tall, but he's 6'3". He's like in like the 275-pound range, uh, but he holds it really well. He moves well. And the, the, the thing I love most about him is how he's able to attack the seams right up the middle of the field. And that's that's an area where the Patriots love to target, especially with their tight ends. So... This is, uh, you know, he definitely has a future tight end one potential in my mind. There's no question about that. He, he, he has a good, he has a great chance to start from day one because I look at the tight end room and I say, it's wide open. I wouldn't put Matt Lacoste on the, on the roster and pan at all. I wouldn't put Brian Izzo in that conversation. And I, I I don't think he's even going to be on the team, uh, you know, with Devin and, and Dalton both being drafted where they were, they're essentially total locks unless one of them gets hurt. And from what I've seen from Devin just from college, I think he's more talented and has higher potential than Matt Lacoste. So the question will be how fast can he get up to speed? That will be, um, you know, that, that'll be a big question. But my biggest concern with him is just there's been a lot of talk about him putting on too much weight uh, at too easily. You know, he needs to make sure that he – stays in in good shape and with the kind of situation we're in uh in this worldwide pandemic and and not being able to be in camp like we talked about and being monitored that's something that's a little concerning because it's certainly easy to put on weight 
when you're sitting at home, you know, constantly. Uh, but I, I would say for him, he has great potential. For for Dalton Keene, um, this is someone to be truthful. I wasn't a big fan of coming out because I just he he does. I can see why the Patriots would be interested in him because he has that H back move tight end skill set. Um, if you're projecting him as a true tight end, I'm not sure he has the ability to do that necessarily. Now, when Aaron Hernandez was on the team when they drafted him several years ago, they moved him you know from the tight end role to kind of they put him in the backfield at times they put him in the slot they put him outside they moved him all around I could see you know Hernandez is a was a better athlete than Keen is uh much better athlete you know but Keen is still very athletic in his own right still has a good versatile you know skill set he's a Swiss army knife but he needs to get a little bit stronger and uh I want to see how they utilize him I, you know, if he hits, I think he could be a really good player, but I think he's he's going to need more work than Aussie Aussie at the NFL level, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at least they've stocked by that position now, so they've certainly filled it. Uh, now we move on to the fifth round, and for me, the outlier pick, <laughs> as I'm sure for a lot of people, Justin Rohrwasser, um, kick out of Marshall, who, I mean, for the record, I'd never never heard of in my life. I mean, I, I, probably, I don't do as much draft inside as you do, but... I never heard of this name, and it shocked me to take him there. And again, he's got a big leg. Is you know he hit his longest field goal was fifty three yards last last year. Um, all that kind of stuff. I understand that, but if you're if you're choosing what most people will rank as a tenth or twelfth, whatever ranked kicker in the draft, why do it in the fifth round? Is my question to you, Derek. I mean, could we not have done something, or could the Patriots not have done something better with that fifth round pick, as in terms of a value? It's a value pick from that point of view? Well, I, put it this way. Uh, I, let me start with kind of what you said at first. For what it's worth, I had never heard of him either. And I do a lot of draft prep. Kickers, I I, I was joking around with, you know, Steve Sherry on the Patriots 4th and 2 podcast. I, um, we, you know, we do. And I was joking that, you know, we talked about some of the, the top two guys. And that was pretty much the extent of the kicking I did. Because I, I wasn't sure what direction they would go. I, I think that fifth round, sixth round, you know, if you, the, I think it shows in the fifth round how much they want to make sure they got this this particular kicker. You know, Rodrigo Blankenship from uh, Georgia, Tyler Bass. Um, I, I want to say that was Georgia Southern. Uh, he, you know, those two guys were kind of the the two that many people had their their sights on. As far as Justin Justin Rohrwasser goes, big leg, big bodied kicker, kicked in bad elements. Um, you know, I can't I can't sit here and break down kicking. Uh, you know, as well as maybe some other positions, but I I would say that the Patriots have done very well picking specialists in the past. So uh, I, I have confidence in that. Um, and as far as value goes, you know, like I said, they have a lot. They had a lot of picks at the end of the draft. Yes, of course, you could make the case like, you know what, just take your kicker, you know, pick take him undrafted and just bring a couple guys to camp and see. But I think it does speak volumes to the fact that they took a fifth round on him. And you know what? Speaking of that, I, I would even throw our last player we talked, we talked about into that conversation, Dalton Keene. Uh, you know, the Patriots moved up 24 after they took a CSE at 91. They were they weren't supposed to pick yeah. until I want to say like thirty four slots later. They traded three draft picks in order to move up and take Dalton Keene at one hundred and one, and they did something that Bill Belichick has never done uh, in his Patriots tenure, which is trade a future draft pick 
uh, from, you know, at, you know, it, during the draft, traded traded draft pick from next year. He included a sixth rounder from next year to move up. I thought that spoke volumes about making sure that Keen didn't fall too far down the board. Clearly, those two guys they had pretty highly graded, uh, which is which is or similarly graded too, which I thought was interesting. And then to take a kicker in the fifth round, I think does kind of speak to the fact that you know this is the guy they targeted and they didn't want to let him go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I would have understood it more if it was one of the higher ranked guys, but I just thought maybe you could have had someone like Rowarser as, as an undrafted free agent, as you mentioned, and done a little bit more with that fifth round pick. Um, but anyway, moving on to the rest of the picks, I want to kind of bunch these up a little bit together because I see a common theme within these guys. Um, in the sixth round, the Patriots drafted Michael Onvenu from uh, Michigan. He's a big guard. Um, I think he's like 6'3", 344. Um, big, big guy. Uh, they also drafted then in the sixth round offensive tackle Justin Heron uh, from Wake Forest. Um, then they drafted linebacker Cash Malvia Malua from Wyoming, and then uh, in the seventh round just uh, Dustin Woodard. Now, one of the things I I'm, I always think Bill Belichick probably does is in these later rounds, I think he gets some really smart guys. You know, the, the sort of guys that that will add depth into your depth chart, and I think we'll, guys will be great in the locker room, solid professionals. You know, uh, Justin Heron was a, was a four-year starter. He was a team captain. Dustin Woodard was a at a 4.0 GPA. He was on, all, on the all-academic team. So I thought those were really smart picks as well because you bring in those guys, those lower-round picks, who are going to come in, develop, work hard, never disrupt anything, and really fit into the system. How do you see these guys? Yeah, I think you nailed it. Uh, and it's funny, you know, starting with Michael Onwenu uh, from, from Michigan. Michigan had a lot of offensive linemen drafted. It's a testament to what they've built in the trenches at that program. But this is someone who is a, just a massive kind of girthy body, you know, human. (laughs) And uh, he likes to, he likes to hit people. He's a little slow because of his size. And, you know, he doesn't move super well. And the Patriots really like to move their guards, you know, pulling their guards from the left to right side or the right to left side. And during run plays, and he doesn't do that all particularly well, but you know, he is, uh, someone who has, uh, you know, some great strength and, uh, you know, some ability there too. Uh, Justin Heron for um, Wake Forest. I don't know if it's Heron or Heron, but we'll figure that out, I guess, when we when they get to get to speak. But kind of opposite of Michael Onwenu, you know, it's he's he's not nearly as big, but he's you know he has much better feet. He moves really well. Um, he was a team captain. He has a lot of starting experience. I believe it was uh, Steve Balsteri who told me yesterday he's he was the only offensive lineman um, with over a thousand snaps. I want to say it was like twelve hundred snaps. I mean he has a lot of he has a lot yeah. of experience, and I think that speaks to you know that's that's a testament to him. And I, I'm sure that durability and uh, consistency uh, from him is something that Bill really admires. Uh, I uh, to be honest, Cash Cash and uh, Dustin were not on my radar the last two picks. Um, I spent a lot of time um, looking at cash afterwards and um, you know, he's someone who's going to have to kind of fight tooth and nail to get on special teams, but you never know. I mean, when you're talking about defensive positions like linebacker, you know, you're, if you're not a starter, you're going to have to contribute on special teams. So that'll be his ticket, uh, you know, to the roster if there's a way for him to do that. And, you know, Dustin Woodard from Memphis, you're right. Very smart guy. And I know that from, from what I've kind of read on him, 
they did a lot of things um, in Memphis for, he was asked to do a lot of things that the Patriots asked their centers to do. And that's what stood out to, to um, the Patriots. And, you know, when you're talking about taking these three offensive linemen at the end of the draft, I, you know, you're just trying to add to the competition. Again, they there's, if you're looking at your offensive line, your offensive line is probably set for the most part right now. And it should be a decent one, but your depth is really questioned. You know, we, there's nothing really set in stone there. So I think the competition at offensive line is going to be uh, a big one. Yeah, absolutely. So I think overall a solid draft, I would say for the Patriots, um, I think you agree with me. Nothing too spectacular, but just I think they got a lot of good players. The question will be, you know, would you rather have a couple of good players or like, you know, a, you know, a lot of good players or a couple of really impactful players. And I think they kind of passed on the idea of taking an impactful player at 23, you know, a couple of guys that maybe were highly rated to trade down and maybe get two guys, you know, and I, I, that will be the real question. You know, did they need, they needed a lot of positions filled. No, they, they certainly, they still do. I mean, it's going to take, you're resetting your roster. It's going to take a couple of years to kind of get younger and faster, but I think they started with, um, you know, a lot of good quality players. I'm really excited about the first, you know, the first half of the draft, I think all has some interesting potential moving forward, you know, in the double dip at tight end, you know, uh, it worked out well with Gronkowski and Hernandez for the most part, um, you know, from a, from a player situation anyway, and uh, from, you know, the front, adding some guys to the front seven who has, you know, kind of different skill sets uh, I thought was important. And, you know, safety was a, was a need. Again, it's not a need in terms of on the field this year. I think he'll contribute, but it, this is probably a pick with an eye towards 2021. Derek Havens joining me here on the Seasonal Sports, uh, columnspatsfans.com and co-host of the Patriots 4th and 2 podcast. Derek, I want to move into some of the winners and losers of this of this uh, draft. Um, I want to pick three three in each column. Um, I'll start it off with one of the, on a positive note. Um, I'll give you my first. And you don't, you don't have to rank them. I just think three overall. For me, the, one of the first teams that stood out was, was the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I think they... They really crushed the draft. Um, Patrick Queen from LSU, major need for them, linebacker. J.K. Dobbins, uh, just adding to their pool of running backs, um, making that part of their team stronger. And I, I think also just in their offseason, adding the likes of K- Calais Campbell. Um, I think, yeah, they, they just crushed it. And, you know, the rich get richer in the AFC. Give yeah, me, I'm, me I, I'm, I'd like to disagree with you. But I, <laughs> but I also agree with Baltimore. You know, I, I think that, there was a lot of players that they selected where I was like, wow, he's still there. You know, I thought J.K. Dobbins was an absolute steal yeah. the place that he got. You know, even Patrick Queen, I didn't maybe, maybe didn't expect for him to fall all the way down to the first round. Um, Malik Harrison, I thought the linebacker prospect from Ohio State was someone that I had my eye on for the Patriots. Same with uh, Ben Bredesen from, from Michigan, James Prochet from SMU, and Geno Stone from Iowa. All those guys I had on my Patriots radar, and uh, it's you know they go they go to the Ravens, you know just because I liked them and they were often mocked to the Patriots doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be good, but I like the players they got. Uh, you know they have they have an identity, and they I thought they really brought in some young players that fit their identity, and and um, I think Patrick Queen 
is going to be a really interesting player for them, uh, you know, moving forward. He's, he, he's a good fit there. Absolutely. Give me, give me a sec, your second team. Man, um, we're, we're talking about winners still, so. Winners, still winners. We'll finish off the winners. We'll go and then we'll finish. All right. So if we're if we're sticking with winners, then I'll, I I have to say the Bengals. I mean, they, look, they were the worst team. They were the worst team in the league, and you know they got the number one overall pick. If you had asked people last year who the number one overall pick would be, a lot of people probably would have said Tua. Uh, but Joe Burrow has an unbelievable season, one of the greatest college football seasons of all time, and really just incredible. Uh, and he, he's a fun player to watch. I like, I like his, I like what he brings, uh, you know, to the field and away from the field too. I like the kind of swagger confidence that he brings too. Um, then you go ahead and you get T Higgins in the second round, which I didn't love him in the first round. So you get him in the second round. I thought that was good. They have a young, uh, you know, they have a good player in Tyler Boyd, obviously AJ green, depending on his health situation, you had a young player in T Higgins there helped Joe Burrow. You already have Joe Mixon in the backfield. Um, then you get, Logan Wilson, uh, who was someone I had my eye on for the Patriots later as well, and uh, I thought you got some you got some good depth guys um, at towards the end of the draft. So you know the Bengals, it's hard not to be a winner when you when you get your franchise quarterback. And and I think under the well, we'll see if the organization doesn't screw them up, but I, I I think that you have to be feeling pretty good if you're Cincinnati. Yeah, they definitely seem to be heading in the right direction. Uh, my second team, I'm going to go with the Indianapolis Colts. Um, I think they did a really good job. I mean, obviously, they traded the 13th pick to the San Francisco 49ers for the Forrest Buckner, which is going to beef up their defensive line, drafted Michael Pittman Jr., wide receiver from USC. Then I think the, one of the great picks was Wisconsin running back, Jonathan yeah, Taylor. Absolutely. Um, and then they uh, filled it out with with Jacob Eason, you know, just in the later rounds. Um as a, as, a, as your project quarterback behind Philip Rivers and Jacoby Brissett. So just a great job, Chris Ballard. I mean, I, from what I understand, these are the guys that he picked. You know, there was guys on their board um, and they wanted to pick. So I think they did a really, really good job um, in Indianapolis. Um, and my third team is the Denver Broncos. I'm going to – I like what they did with Jared Judy. I mean, I thought he was – he was my favorite receiver in the draft. I had him originally in my mock draft going to Jacksonville at nine, but – See, they went a different way. I mean, he had something like 159 catches for over 2,700 yards. Just just a freak for me. KJ Hamler, I thought that was nice. Uh, they drafted the LSU center, um, one of the 14 draft picks I think LSU had. Um, so I think they, they really solidified that offense um, and they seem to, well, seem to think Drew Locke is their answer, a quarterback. So um, those are my three teams. Honorable mentions, I have to say, to the Bucs. Um, I thought they had a really good draft as well. Um, and the Niners also did a good job. So those are the two honorable mentions. Give me third, a third winner. Uh, I can't believe I'm going to do this. I think it was the Cowboys. You know, they they stand. They they kind of were yeah. were where they were at um, middle of the draft. I want to say it was 18th. CD Lamb falls right to them. I think a lot of people had them taking a defensive player, but I don't have a problem with them taking CD. That's a good running mate with Amari uh, Cooper. You you know how you have. Three studs around your quarterback in Dak Prescott, who who is uh, really took off last year. I give him a lot of credit. He's turned into a player I didn't believe he could be. But then you get uh, the cornerback Trayvon Diggs, Stephon Diggs' brother. Um, you know, in the next, uh, the following night, um, Neville Gallimore, who was a defensive lineman uh, for Oklahoma that I really enjoyed watching. He brings some interesting fire 
uh, and uh, to in tenacity to the defensive line. And then you, you know, two players that I was surprised that you, they'd be uh, that they were there where they were, but at the end of the draft, they got Bradley and I, the, the oh, a pass, a really interesting edge player, pass rusher from Utah. I want to say in the fifth round and, and uh, Tyler uh, BDS, I, I want to say from Wisconsin, it's escaping me at the moment, but two guys that I thought fell a lot farther than, than uh, we, than, you know, many kind of draft guys anticipated. And uh, I thought the Cowboys did a nice job. Um, you know, I would throw in even the Giants. I really liked as an honorable mention. I thought their first two picks were good. Andrew Thomas and uh, Xavier McKinney are two are two players for them that I I think have really high floors. You know, you can't really miss on them. McKinney's a versatile guy, and in the defensive backfield for them, um, who should probably start right away. And Andrew Thomas is going to be, uh, uh, you know one of their, you know, one of their future left tackles and, and Matt Pert, uh, who they got also, I think behind McKinney was another offensive tackle, probably their future right tackle. So it's hard not to like what they did um, in their first several rounds. Oh, nice. I like your picks. So I'm definitely agree with everything uh, you said there. Now we go on the other side. Uh, we'll go with losers. I'm going to start it off with the Green Bay Packers. Um, didn't quite get the Jordan Love pick. I mean, Okay, if you pick, if you like Jordan Love and you want to pick him that high, it's it's not the best environment to do with someone like Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers doesn't doesn't strike me as the sort of mentor for young quarterback sort of guy. Um, I think they're in win now mode. Um, to not help him with any more weapons, you know, they drafted a big bruising running back in AJ Dillon when you already have Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams in the deepest wide receiver draft of all time, maybe or for a long time for sure. I. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I really, I don't, I don't quite see it. You know, I, for example, I, I compare them to the Colts and I see a plan there. You have your short-term quarterback and then you, you draft the developmental guy. I don't know. I, I think like Aaron, I feel like Aaron Rodgers is on the clock for sure. Um, so I didn't like this, the feeling with the Packers after 13 and three season to kind of do this. I don't quite see it, but well, anyway, just like our, our first, first winner, loser. we agree on our first loser too. I thought the Packers really had a bad weekend and, you know, the funny thing about that that statement is if Jordan Love can play, then it doesn't matter. You know, if he can play and he's a good player, then they're going to be one of the winners in hindsight 2020. But I don't believe that he's a franchise quarterback. You know, they're sitting there. They move up to get him. And he. this is a player that has a lot of talent, but mentally has got to clean up um, a lot of mistakes. And he threw a, a, a I think it was like 17 interceptions last season. It was it was just not great. His tape was really bad from his junior or senior year. Then in the second round, they go with A.J. Dillon, who I don't mind as the player. Interesting running back, but really high for him, it seems like. He figured he would go day three. I wasn't a fan of Cincinnati tight end uh, Josiah DeGaro they brought in. And, uh, you know, I, there was a couple picks late that I didn't mind at all for them. But if you're looking at what the Packers did, I thought they really swung and missed in the first in the first two days of the draft where it's important and like you said you know they're they they kind of passed on maybe getting Devonte adams a running mate there uh and their defense got ran over by san francisco in the postseason and they really hadn't addressed that much i think that they're going to be in the same situation this coming season where they're good but they're not good enough to get to where they want to go and the other funny thing with green bay is when you talk about it, you know, a lot of people look at it and say, well, 
And like you just said, you know, Aaron Rodgers is on the clock. But if you look at the way his contract is structured, he's he's essentially impossible to move for at least two years. And even that third year is going to be tough. So by the time Jordan Love can really, quote unquote, start, they're already going to have to make a decision on his fifth year option. So they're probably going to have to pick that up no matter what. I think you're looking at Jordan Love as a guy that won't see the field for at, at minimum two years. Uh, you know, and, and start three years down the road, maybe even closer to four. Yeah, and, and I don't want to undervalue the value of a backup quarterback because I think it's very, very important. So I think they're covered maybe in that regard what they're thinking, but I thought it was a high pick if you're just looking for a bit of insurance. But uh, I'm, I'm just not sure the direction you're going in. But that's that's my feeling. Give me your I second. I thought the Steelers draft was really underwhelming. The uh, they came away with the – just it just seemed like they what they hauled away – you know, and I guess if, if you include their trade for Minka Fitzpatrick, who uh, was really a, a great player in college, went to Miami, had kind of a tough go of it. The Steelers traded him for a first round draft pick. If you include, um, you know, if you include him in the mix, then, you know, it worked out pretty well. But, you know, Chase Claypool, I liked. Besides that, the only other pick I liked from them was I thought Antoine Brooks Jr. was a was a good value in, in, in day three. Besides that, I thought it was kind of an underwhelming haul for them. Yeah, good, good points. Um, the second and third losers for me, um, I'd, I'd go with the Bears at number two. I, I didn't quite get the Cole Komet pick in the second round. I'm tight end. I don't know what your name. I mean, he, um, he, he was a 10th tight end. I mean, they already signed Jimmy Graham in the offseason. I'm not sure what you're going to do with 10 tight ends. Um, still big questions of strong safety. Big questions of running back. I didn't think like they, they filled enough needs any, for, for them anyway. And, I, and then I would move as my third team. I would move in the Fal- to the Falcons. Um, again, underwhelming draft. I mean, you, drive, you, you draft A.J. Uh, Terrell in the round one when you have C.D. Lamb sitting there. Again, they really forced that need rather than the best player available in my mind. Um, then the second round, you go for Marlon Davidson. Third round, Matt Hennessy. Just, just, I think, reaches, you know, I... I didn't see him in those positions, and I, I know the Falcons need a lot to, to kind of get back to where they need to want, need to be and where they want to be, but I thought those two teams had an underwhelming weekend. Um, but give me your third the team. Third team it, it probably would be the Eagles, um, and I'll, I'll say this. It's because, you know, I, I, I for one, I'm not a big Jalen Rieger guy. Now, anybody that the Philadelphia Eagles drafted, I felt like, is going to get a decent amount of at least opportunity because they had a massive need at receiver. But I just didn't like Jalen Rager. I thought there were too too much of a limited route tree, too many drops, and I don't trust his hands. And I kind of felt like him, like I felt about K.J. Hamler. You know, you're a receiver. Everything look, everything about you looks good, but your hands are what I don't trust. And, um, you know, and those were what I was kind of questioning with those two. And I, I didn't – I thought that was kind of a reach there. The other thing is with the Jalen Hurts pick, you know – it's interesting because at first I thought I really liked it. And the more I looked back at it, I said, look, Carson Wentz has already been dealing with a lot of injury issues. So it makes sense to have a good backup quarterback prospect. But I also think that you're putting um, more pressure on Carson Wentz too, by drafting a younger guy who people are going to be interested to see his projection. Now it should be a good position for Jalen hurts because that he's able to 
continue to sit and develop as a quarterback, which I think is important for him. I think Lincoln Riley really helped unlock a lot of potential for him at Oklahoma, even though that system seems to be really cranking out quarterbacks. And I think Hurts needs more work. I would just say sitting behind Carson Wentz, I think if he gets injured again, there's going to be a lot of talk about um, – there's going to be a lot of talk about Jalen Hurts and and maybe his him moving forward. I, I just think that even though I, I think the the quarterback pick behind Wentz makes sense on paper, I think that the Philadelphia fan base could get a little restless and it actually could cause you know Wentz to hear more footsteps behind him. I'm not sure that's going to have the positive effect maybe they thought it was going to. Yeah, interesting idea. I mean, the other way I could spin it for them is maybe to say, well, Doug Peterson's a good developer. Oh, yeah, he, absolutely. Yeah, I totally defensive guys. Um, So you, you get your backup quarterback for a million dollars a year, which doesn't affect your cap too much. But like you said, I mean, there is wear and tear. Well, there's issues with durability for Carson Wentz and whether that, that obviously played a big role. So you need someone in that position who you can count on, a la Nick Foles, which we fortunately know too much or too well, <laughs> too well about. Um, but yeah, I, I, interesting for them. I, I thought the Reagan pick. I, I agree with you uh, totally because, I mean, it's one thing drafting KJ Hamler and stuff like maybe second round later on in the draft. But at that pick, when you had a prime position to get, I think a big impact player, um, I think they could have done better. So, really good points. Um, but Derek, listen, I've taken up enough of your time. Um, I think you and I can talk hours about the draft and just the NFL in general. So really, really appreciate you joining me, uh, guys. Make sure you follow J- Derek on Twitter at Derek Havens. Um, patsfans.com writer and also pats fourth and two podcast host and co-host so yeah listen to him there follow him on twitter and uh, thank you for having me i always love talking with you and uh yeah we we definitely could sit here and i feel like we're just scratching the surface but it was good to it was good to start breaking things down with you and i'm looking forward to keep discussing how this offseason unfolds and and uh see where this team's headed into 2020 you as well sounds great appreciate it take take care